Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallet. In the mid-1980s, mathematician Jean Bourgogne thought up a simple question about high-dimensional shapes, and then he remained stuck on it for the rest of his life. It was one of the most important problems in high-dimensional convex geometry, and now a postdoctoral statistician has solved it. That's next. more math mysteries in the Quanta book, The Prime Number Conspiracy, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure to tell your friends about the Quanta Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. Jean Bourgogne was one of the preeminent mathematicians of the modern era. He died in 2018, having won most of the top awards in the field. He was known as a problem solver extraordinaire, the kind of person you might talk to about a problem you'd been working on for months, only to have him solve it on the spot. Yet Bourgogne could not answer his own question about high-dimensional shapes. Sebastian Bubeck is with Microsoft Research in Redmond, Washington. Bourguin was one of the strongest mathematicians of his generation, or maybe the strongest of his generation, field medalist, etc. And Bourguin had said that he had worked on the hyperplane conjecture more than any other topic, any other problem. And he was stuck at n to the one force on the hyperplane conjecture. In the years since Bourgogne formulated his problem, it's become what some mathematicians have called the opening gate to understanding a wide range of questions about high-dimensional convex shapes. These are shapes that always contain the entire line segment connecting any two of their points. High-dimensional convex shapes are a central object of study, not just for pure mathematicians, but also for statisticians, machine learning researchers, and other computer scientists working with high-dimensional data sets. Bourgogne's problem boils down to this simple question. Suppose a convex shape has volume one in your favorite choice of units. If you consider all the ways to slice through the shape using a flat plane one dimension lower, could these slices all have extremely low area, or must at least one be fairly substantial. Bourgogne guessed that some of these lower dimensional slices must have substantial area. In particular, he conjectured that there's some universal constant independent of the dimension, such that every shape contains at least one slice with area greater than this constant. At first glance, Bourgogne's conjecture might seem obviously true. After all, if the shape were extremely skinny in every direction, how could it have enough substance to form one unit of volume? Ronan Eldan is a high-dimensional geometer at the Weizmann Institute. He remembers his reaction when he first heard of the problem. Especially the slicing problem is something that on a first glance, first of all, you could explain it easily to a first-year undergrad student. You don't need any background to understand the problem and to, you know, start thinking about it in a sense. And at the first glance, it seemed like 
there is no way this is not known. Like, come on, how hard can it be? But the more you think about it, you see how intriguing it is. Like, the more you think about it, you have less and less idea whether or not it's even true. And then the more you think about it, the more you kind of understand how delicate it really is. The difficulty is that high-dimensional shapes often behave in ways that defy our human low-dimensional intuition. For example, in dimensions 10 and up, it's possible to build a cube and a ball such that the cube has larger volume than the ball, but every slice through the center of the cube has smaller area than the corresponding slice through the center of the ball. Here's Sebastian Bubeck again. The beauty of high-dimensional geometry is exactly that it doesn't look like anything like dimension 2, that there are many, many phenomena in high dimensions that just you cannot picture them in dimension two. They are completely foreign to our typical intuition in low dimension. And they are of tremendous importance because, you know, high dimensional objects are everywhere. Like a picture is a high dimensional object. It's not something esoteric. Bourgon's slicing conjecture is a vote for high dimensional tameness. It's a guess that high dimensional shapes conform to our intuition in at least some ways. Now, Borgon's guess has been vindicated with a paper posted online in November. The paper doesn't quite prove Borgon's full conjecture, but it does prove a version so close that it puts a strict limit on high-dimensional weirdness for all practical purposes. Boaz Klartag of the Weizmann Institute of Science in Israel says Borgon would have dreamt of achieving a result this strong. The new paper is by Yuan C. Chen, a former postdoctoral researcher at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, Zurich, who's now part of the statistical science faculty at Duke University. Chen's paper gets at the Bourgogne slicing problem through an even more far-reaching question about convex geometry called the KLS conjecture. This 25-year-old conjecture asks about the best way to slice a shape into two equal portions. It implies Bourgogne's conjecture, and the KLS conjecture lies at the heart of many questions in statistics and computer science. Among those, how long will it take for heat to diffuse through a convex shape, or how many steps must a random walker take from a starting point before reaching a truly random location? Eldan says random walks are pretty much the only effective methods available for sampling random points. Take a wide range of computer science problems. The most important subroutine in the algorithm is you want to sample a random point from the uniform distribution on your convex set. You basically do this, just imagine a diffusing particle like inside your convex set, like a particle doing random walk, and every time it bumps into the boundary, it kind of reflects back. Chen's new result instantly improves the known running times of algorithms for tasks like computing the volume of a convex shape or sampling from an assortment of machine learning models. Chen's work doesn't quite prove the full KLS conjecture. But Bubek says when it comes to computer science applications... The impact of the statement is already felt with what you see Chen proved. You don't need the full conjecture to get, you know, the full impact. 
Chin is not a convex geometer by training. Instead, he's a statistician who became interested in the KLS conjecture because he wanted to get a handle on random sampling. Eldan says it's neat that Chin came from a different discipline. No one knows Yuan Chen in our community, so it's pretty cool that, you know, you have this guy coming out of nowhere solving one of the most important problems. Like the Borgon slicing problem, the KLS conjecture asks a simple question. Suppose you want to put a convex shape, maybe an apple without dimples, into two equal size portions, and you're planning to put one aside for later. The exposed surface is going to turn brown and unappetizing, so you want to make it as small as possible. Among all possible cuts, which will minimize the exposed surface? It's not too hard to answer this question, at least approximately, if you're limited to straight cuts. But if you're allowed to make curved cuts, all bets are off. In Dimension 2, mathematicians know that the best cut will always be a straight line or an arc of a circle. But in Dimension 3, the best cut is understood only for a few simple shapes. For higher dimensional shapes, mathematicians usually don't even have a hope of finding the optimal cut. Since the optimal curved cut is so hard to pin down, the creators of the conjecture wondered how much worse things would be if you only allowed straight cuts. In 1995, the three, Ravi Kanin, Laszlo Lovas and Miklos Simonovitz, known as KLS, conjectured that this restriction will never make things much worse. There's some universal constant such that the surface area of the best flat cut is at most that constant times the surface area of the best overall cut. Santosh Vimpala is with the Georgia Institute of Technology. I think that it was a brilliant insight of KLS to formulate this. They were working on an algorithmic problem and they made this beautiful mathematical conjecture. Even though they couldn't prove their conjecture, instead of establishing a universal constant, the best the group could do was establish a factor that works out to roughly the square root of the dimension the shape lives in. So, for example, they knew that for a 100-dimensional convex shape, the best straight cut will expose at most about 10 times as much surface area as the very best cut. Exposing 10 times as much surface area might not sound so great, but since many attributes of high-dimensional shapes grow exponentially as the dimension grows, a square root's worth of growth is modest by comparison. Here's Sebastian Bubeck again. Even showing just that it's sub-exponential is already something. It's already an indication that there is a nice phenomenon in high dimension. Things are not as crazy as they could be. But researchers were eager to improve on this result, and not just from academic interest. They knew that the KLS factor encapsulates a world of information about how random processes behave within a convex shape. That's because the smaller the best cut is, the harder it is for a random process to spread around the shape quickly. Think of a dumbbell with two massive balls connected by a narrow bridge. The fact that you can divide it into two equal pieces with just a small cut precisely captures the notion that the bridge is a bottleneck. A heat source or a random walker in one of the two balls will usually take a long time to reach the other ball, 
since it has to find its way through the bottleneck. Of course, a dumbbell is not convex. A convex shape cannot have a disproportionately small flat cut like one in the dumbbell, but perhaps it could have a disproportionately small curved cut. The KLS conjecture essentially asks if a high-dimensional convex shape can contain a hidden, twisty sort of dumbbell that slows down random mixing. Cannon, Lovas, and Simonovitz's square root bound put a limit on how extreme these hidden dumbbells could be. And in 2012, Eldan lowered their bound to the cube root of the dimension by introducing a technique called stochastic localization. It envisions tilting the convex shape and sliding its points around in one direction after another until they've piled up in a particular region. It's easy to prove the KLS conjecture for a highly concentrated mass, which is about as different from a dumbbell as it gets, by showing that the tilting process hadn't changed things too much, Eldan was able to calculate a KLS bound for the original shape. Bubek says he met Eldan when they were both at Microsoft Research. So he came up with this stochastic localization technique. It's a very, very beautiful process, but he fell short of proving the actual conjecture. A few years later, Vimpala and Intat Lee of the University of Washington refined Eldan's statistic localization to lower the KLS factor even further to the fourth root of the dimension. And for a brief, glorious moment, they thought they had done something much stronger. If the dimension is called d, then the square root is d to the one-half power. The cube root is d to the one-third, and the fourth root is d to the one-fourth. By introducing a new technique called bootstrapping, Lee and Vimpala thought they could lower the KLS bound all the way down to d raised to the power of zero, plus a little fudge factor. Since d to the power of zero always equals one, Lee and Vimpala's bound was more or less constant. Here's Bubek again. So he told me that he only could get it a polynomial. And I said, okay, but this is amazing. You know, this, in my feeling, it was a big deal worthy of the highest praise, including like Fields Medal and things like that. That was my feeling. So I was very, very happy for him. He posted the paper on the archive and the next day or the day after, Boas Klartag immediately emailed them that, you know, there was a problem. Klartag had found a gap that undermined their proof of the d to the power of zero bound. Lee and Vimpala quickly posted a revised draft that only claimed a d to the one-fourth bound. And for several years, researchers thought perhaps this was the end of the KLS story. That's because Eldan and Clartog had previously shown that any KLS bound instantly translates into a Bourgogne slicing bound. For example, Lee and Vimpala's d to the one-fourth bound means that in the Bourgogne slicing problem, there's always a slice whose surface area is at least about one over d to the one-fourth. But mathematicians already knew several ways to prove a 1 over d to the 1 fourth bound for Bourgogne slicing. So they thought maybe Lee and Vimpala had reached the natural end point of the KLS question. Here's Ronan Eldan. This dependence, you know, they mentioned that the power 1 over 4 appeared in several approaches, like really independent approaches. And I, I was starting to feel, yeah, maybe this is the truth. 
So somehow there was a feeling that the strong people worked on that method and whatever could be exploited was exploited. That's Boaz Clartog. But no, we were just wrong. And Yuan Chin came along to prove that. When Lee and Vinpala posted their revised paper, they preserved in it their ideas about how a proof of the roughly d to the power of zero bound might work. They said only one piece of their proof had fallen through. Their paper caught the eye of Chin, then a statistics graduate student at the University of California, Berkeley. He was studying the mixing rates of random sampling methods. Random sampling is a key ingredient in many types of statistical inference, such as Bayesian statistics, a framework for updating beliefs based on new evidence. Chen refers to it as MCMC. So you deal with this MCMC sampling every day if you want to do Bayesian statistics. In practice, like it's very important to know like whether I ran it for a long time and Am I sure that this uh, MCM sampling converged? Because if it has not converged, then the estimate of the parameter will not be accurate, or the estimate of the confidence might not be accurate. Lee and Vimpala's paper introduced Chin to the idea of stochastic localization. That was the first time I read this L-dense stochastic localization proof technique from Lee and Vimpala's paper. Once I saw their paper, I go back to L-dense original paper in 2013. But that's where I learned this technique, and I was fascinated by this proof technique. I thought it was like one of the most beautiful proof techniques I've seen for a while. So I kind of believed in it, even though they didn't prove it. Chin dived into the literature and spent several weeks trying to fill the gap in Lee and Vimpala's proof, but to no avail. Periodically over the next few years, some idea for how to modify stochastic localization would pop into his head, and he would ponder it for a few hours before giving up. Then finally, one of his ideas bore fruit. He realized there was a way not to prove the missing statement in Lee and Vinfalo's proof, but to get around the need for such a strong statement at all. Through what Chin called some little tricks, but Vimpala called an elegant and important new insight, Chin figured out how to make Lee and Vimpala's bootstrapping method work. Chin's method takes a recursive approach to lowering the KLS bound by showing that if you can make the bound fairly small, then there's a way to make it even smaller. Applied repeatedly, this bootstrapping approach achieves the approximately constant bound for the KLS conjecture, and also for the Borgon slicing problem. Boaz Clartog saw when Chen posted his work online. For me, it's very exciting. So I immediately basically stopped everything that I was doing and checked this paper. Researchers were wary, given the previous incorrect proof and the fact that most of them had never heard of Chin. Just because of this incident that was three, four years ago, people could be suspicious. But no, this paper is 100% correct. It's completely clear to everyone. There's no question about it. Chin's contribution turned out to be easy to verify. His result means that the best 50-50 cut of a convex shape isn't that much smaller than the best flat cut. In other words, High-dimensional convex shapes don't contain hidden dumbbells with very narrow bridges. Sebastian Bubek looks at it from a pure math perspective. So from that perspective, you know, it is a big deal because it was such a gaping hole in our understanding. And from a practical standpoint, it means that a random walk is guaranteed to mix through a convex shape much faster than researchers could previously prove. 
Among other things, this understanding will help computer scientists to prioritize among different random sampling techniques to figure out when the most basic random walk is best and when a more sophisticated but computationally expensive algorithm will perform better. In the end, considering how many people tried and failed to prove the d to the power of zero bound, Vimpala says the proof was surprisingly simple, and if he were still alive, Borgon would probably be surprised. I mean, you know, he was a smart guy and he knew he was smart, so <laughs> he'd be like, how did I miss that is probably what he'd think, is my guess. Vitaly Milman of Tel Aviv University says Borgon probably spent more time on this problem than any other problem he'd ever worked on. Just a few months before he died in 2018, Borgon contacted Milman asking if there'd been any progress. Milman says he wanted to know the answer before he would leave. Matt Karlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Erica Klarike's full article, Statistics Postdoc Tames Decades-Old Geometry Problem, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quanta Magazine is an editorially independent online publication launched by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. Music